Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Um, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Awesome. Glad that you're here. We have been uh, in a series. We just started, I guess we're third, three weeks into a new series. This is Love. We're looking at the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Um, just some wonderful stuff here to get our hearts and, and minds around. And I'm going to jump right in to that. Um, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in First uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 this morning. Also, we have been incredibly blessed. Um, some folks have provided for us Bibles, and you'll see them under the chairs in front of you. As, as you know, I'm uh, kind of going against the grain. I'm saying when you get back to paper, nothing wrong with having the Bible. I got the Bible on my phone and everything too. But there's something profound about engaging the Word of God with paper because uh, there's lots of scientific things there, but the big thing is you have no distractions. You have no beeps going off, right? And uh, so those are provided there if you don't have a Bible um, to, uh, to start cracking open. Um, this morning, I have it on the screen um, as well for you. Another prayer request, Michelle and I leave this Thursday for Thailand. We're very excited about this. We're going to go join Rick and Colleen out there. If you, most of you know Rick and Colleen, they've served the Lord around the world. Some of the hardest places, Pakistan and Afghanistan, there are in the world. And uh, they're in the process of a shift to a new call. We have a little church and a pastor in uh, South um, in, uh, uh, was it Phuket, uh, who has called them to come and join him on a new ministry to reach a whole new people group down there um, that there is not an existing church with. So we're very excited to go, obviously get some time with them, see their new place and, uh, and land and mission, and also meet with this pastor and hear his heart beat uh, for this mission. So I just encourage you all to uh, pray for that. Um, it's going to be great. We're super excited. Um, Let's see, what else? I think that that is all the updates before we dive in here this morning. Um, I am excited, um, always excited for the Word of God, folks. But uh, boy, uh, let me just pray for this time this morning. Um, There's some stuff here that I think is absolutely critical for us, for the church, our church, for the church at large uh, this morning. Uh, that we need the Spirit to give us insight on. And uh, so I hope you're here. I, I hope you're here with a burning heart. Remember the last part of Luke is, talks about, and A.W. Tozier talked about the, the fellowship of the burning heart, right? People who long for the Word of God, long to hear it, long to know it, and expected when they gathered and the Word of God was studied that God's voice, the Spirit would speak individually, uniquely to each person that was hungry and ready and desired uh, the voice of God. And uh, so I I hope that uh, and expect that that will be the case this morning. Also, just a little encouragement. Remember in this series, John is the, the beloved disciple. He's the one who speaks about the love of God more than any of the other teachers or apostles or writers of the New Testament. And so just one little thing to keep before you that would change the absolute trajectory of what church, our church experience is all about. But as you walk in these doors, as you prepare on a Sunday or any other time of coming together uh, as the church, but uh, let's just talk about Sunday as you prepare that you would in your heart say, Lord, show me 
who I can love this morning. Because all the the passages in the New Testament talk about us loving one another. It's not out there. That's an overflow. Starts here with God's people learning to love one another. And I can guarantee you if each one of us started praying that and coming with that kind of expectation is I just know, number one, that it would radically please God's heart and that he will move right in a special way. And this morning, we all will have opportunity to love and listen to the voice of God. How can you love someone here before you leave? Right? And even if you're here and you're in desperate need of something, whatever that is, comfort, encouragement, prayer, um, just a hug, whatever, you know, whatever it is, is, is if something profound happens when even in the midst of my need of, of, let's say, healing or something, I step out to minister to someone for healing. Because God meets me in that place, right? Um, so just to put that, continue to keep that encouragement um, before us. All right, pray with me before we dive in here. Father, um, gosh, Lord, sometimes we don't have the words, Lord, for what we've done, what you've done, Lord, for us. And sending your son, and Lord, forgive us for minimizing that incredible, historical love beyond all love, act for us, Father, and for the world. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd awaken us this morning. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. Lord, through your word, Lord, rock us out of just routine and a rut. Revive our hearts, God. Stir us, Lord. Convict us, God. Transform us, Lord, into the likeness of your Son, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we go. First John, chapter 2. The Apostle John's writing, member, this is a group of churches that he oversees, that he loved dearly. He has a pastoral loving heart for them, and he speaks very boldly, right? Anointed, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Whoa, that's a big word. It means that Jesus on the cross satisfied the just requirements so that we would not experience the wrath and justice of God. Now, folks, I know that's just language like, whoa, in our culture today, that's what that word means. When we minimize that aspect of what Jesus did, we minimize the gospel and the grace of God. Jesus had to die so we would not remain under the wrath of God, separated forever from God. That's at the core of the gospel. You eliminate that, and folks, the church in America is waffling on that issue. Today, you miss that issue. You go soft on that issue. You violate, you move it quickly into false teaching. You violate the gospel of God. It is why there is grace. 
undeserved favor. That is what grace is all about, is we get what we didn't deserve. And Jesus took care of all that. I don't understand freedom in Christ unless I understand what Jesus took away for me, that I can live free without fear, no longer what we sang, right? No longer captive, enslaved to fear. But now the Spirit of God has made us a child of God. Now we can say, Abba. We can come before the presence of God because of the propitiation that Jesus accomplished on the cross because God is just. He doesn't just look over sin, right? He's holy. He's righteous. And that's what righteousness means. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. That Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient for anyone, anywhere, any culture, any color, any, any, any person throughout all history. This is good news for them. It's not just Jesus is one little Lord over here among a bunch of other gods. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is the only way to the Father. There is no other path. There is no other direction. There is no other option but Jesus for salvation and eternal life. We got to get this right. And make a stand on the truth of God. There's no way to spin it. And if we even waffle with that issue. Is the Lord is not the Lord of our life. And we minimize his glory. We minimize his power. And we cannot know him. Right? Um, And by this. We know that we've come to know him. Intimate. Epinosis. Gnosis. To know God. Not just about God, not just Bible study, Sunday school facts, but to know him as our father. Jesus is our savior and the spirit. Wow. If we keep his commandments, whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. Wow. There's a lot there, folks. So let me just say this, and we're going to move on. The connection, the intimate connection between obedience and love can never be separated. Our culture has separated these today. We cannot love each other. You cannot truly have Christian fellowship if we're going to come alongside, come alongside each other and just empathize with each other without rebuking and holding each other accountable to the obedience to the word of God. All right, that is called therapy. That is called what we see in our culture today that is not getting anyone anywhere and not unleashing the transformative power of the gospel. I need to be convicted. If I'm going to be transformed, changed, and developed, I've got to be convicted. I have to become right before God and honest with what's going on in my life and be shown that I need to take my life and line it up with the obedience of God. And that's where the power of God comes in, the transformative power. And that's where, right, love takes over. And it says love is perfected in the midst of our obedience, in the midst of my heart to be a child. Lord, uh, I love you. I can't say I love you, God, if I'm not willing to what? Obey him, right? 
These go hand in hand again. We could get off on all kinds of cultural things here. How uh, there is very little holding anyone responsible for anything today. Lawlessness has taken over. And this is right back to us in the church. It's because we've waffled on this issue. Right? We've gone into a cheap grace idea that's nowhere in scripture. Right? Rather than true accountability. If you say you love God. If I say I love God. I've got to be in a context where I'm held accountable to the word of God. Otherwise, the love of God cannot grow inside me. It's a false worldly type of love. All right? So, if we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. One more note before I move on from that. Um, Folks, Jesus, you know that Jesus never put a limit on what you can experience. Never put a limit on what your, how radical your life can be transformed. Never put a limit on what God can do through you and in you. Because Jesus doesn't. You know that he never puts a limit on what God can do through you. Everything Jesus did, do you realize that you're capable of doing? Uh, you say, well, I can't walk on water. Really? Because Peter did. I'm just using some illustrations. So why put a limit on it? When it comes to holiness, when it comes to transforming my character, who I am, how I think, how I live, Jesus never, how you love, not just how we love, but the love we experience is perfected in the midst of an abiding, we're going to move on to an abiding relationship with God. Never put a limit. Never put a limit on the power of faith in the promises of God. Fleshed out in the community of God. Right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to heaven and and have Jesus go, Look what you could have had. Look what you could have done. Look at the kingdom realities you could have lived in. And what did you say? You have not because you ask not. Church, start asking God for great things. But if you ask God for great things, you have to be willing to, as we're going to see in a minute, step out on great things and trust Him, right? And with the Word of God. By this we know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides, oh, that's one of John's favorite words. This is deep knowing security, confidence, assurance in who we are in God. To abide in Him means I know who I am and I know who God is. Right? I'm abiding, remaining in Him. As John 15 in the Gospel where He says, right, abide in me, I in you, the branch connected to the vine cannot live, cannot bear fruit without this abiding, right, and the sap of the Spirit bringing life and vigor, Right? To, uh, to life. So whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. That's where I want us to camp out. We just, John just threw a big, whew, he just threw a big deal at us. Did you see it? See, it's one thing for me to challenge you and for us to challenge each other, obey the commands of God. Abide in him. 
Obey, obey the, the, the commands, the Ten Commandments, right? Where the rich young ruler come to, to Jesus. Man, tell me what I got to do to have eternal life. And, and Jesus gave him a few things. Yeah, I've done all that. I've done, I've done, I haven't broken the Ten Commandments, you know? And John takes this like John does deeper. Abiding is this incredible thing. And what God's desire for us is this transition from faith in Jesus to faith like Jesus. It's not just about obeying his commands. You know, he didn't save you. He doesn't, he doesn't come and transform our life to, to just have us obey a bunch of rules. To conform to the, the rules in the scripture. It's much bigger than that to live like Jesus lived. Do you see the difference? It's a radical difference. Radical difference. So much of the church, and I think I can speak for a lot of us, speaks for myself, but I think a lot has been hung up in what Willard Dallas Word called sin management. Right? Didn't some of you grow up in a Christian heritage world? It was about real, you know, it was about just don't do this, do this, but don't do this. By rule keeping, right? Or just managing my sin, just but oh, just don't do this, and we just manage that, and yeah, we have good language, and we pray the Spirit would help us here, and we get together in groups, and we just pray for each other. What are you struggling with? What am I? Let's just pray for each other, you know, type of thing. God has something so far beyond that for you. That is not what Jesus called you to. He called you to a triumphant life of radical transformation from one glory to another glory that you would be like Him. And that when people encounter you, they encounter Jesus. That when they encounter us, they encounter Jesus. Now, now, now we've just gone out. We've just blown this thing up. Having, isn't that radically different? Now the question is, how do I do that? Because you see, if I say, hey, here are the steps. Here are the rules. Just follow those. You're all good. Well, hey, I'm a tither. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. I'm doing pretty good. Versus... No, go live like Jesus. And that word here in the Greek, it means lifestyle. It means how I walk my life. Am I living like Jesus? Now that just gets deep water. How can I do that? How can I live? I can't live like Jesus. That's why he saved you. To be like him. In your unique way. All right, so let's dive in because I want to break that down the best I I can this week of just being challenged myself with this. Um, So, um, oh, I got to go back. I'm sorry. Um, So, uh, oftentimes I'll recommend books. Um, You've heard me talk about Tozier. A.W. Tozier is one of my favorites. Read everything he's got. Another guy is Dallas Willard. Um, We love him around here. Um, but I just warn you, you don't take it. If you're, if you're not ready for it, hold off. It's not like waiting and it, it takes diving in, right? He says this, the resources of God's kingdom remain detached from human life. He's talking, he's criticizing the church. The American church, our problem, right, in, in limiting what we've called people into from a discipleship the void of discipleship in church. In other words, multiplying healthy, vibrant believers like we're called to in the Bible. And he says the resources of God's kingdom remain detached from human life. There is no gospel for human 
life and Christian discipleship, just one for death or one for social action. What does he mean by that? He's looking at the culture today, and this is, he wrote this a while ago, it's even more true today, right? What he means in the church, there's a gospel um, uh, not for human life and, and human discipleship. In other words, where's the gospel that we're seeing the testimony that the gospel actually radically transforms someone from this to that? That's salvation. I was this, and now I'm that. I used to do this, and now the chains are broken, now I'm that. This idea of a long journey of trans I'm working at it, I'm working at it. You don't see that in the scripture. That minimizes the power of the cross and the resurrection. That's simply because we live in a therapeutic culture that has robbed the gospel of its ultimate power. Okay? Now, <clears throat> don't get me wrong, there's a place for therapy, counseling, all of that. But not if it minimizes the gospel and what it can do, right? It's not the gospel plus therapy. The gospel is more than sufficient for anything at all. If there is faith and if there is the spirit working, all things are possible. All things, okay? We got to get that right. And Willard's tagging it here. And he says, all we have today is a gospel for death. So he's, he's putting together two sides of the extreme. A gospel of death is all those evangelical Christians where the main focus of the gospel is the forgiveness of sins. Is that I got my fire insurance. I've said the prayer. I've gone here and, and I know I'm a Christian now. And I'm going to go and I have eternal life. But there's no sense of transformation in that person's life. There's no focus on the larger aspect of living like Jesus now. Right? It's just like, well, you made that decision. We rejoice in that. Maybe you're even baptized. That's great. But you know, back to the early church, there was a lot of requirements before you were baptized. And even after, there had to be life change, truth to that, what was going on in that commitment. So he has that on one side. The other one is, or, well, we have a gospel that's just for social action. That's the progressive gospel today. It's more about just social justice and, and, and being involved in causes out there. And we miss the core of the gospel, which is the transforming power to change a person into something new. And the regular testimony of that, my, from the very core of my character to how my actions and how I live, that people see it and make note of it, right? He's saying... That that has been, and it's just pure stats. No way to argue against this. Where is that in the American church? Right? And we're being hit from both sides on this thing. The souls of human beings are left to shrivel and die on the plains of life because they are not introduced into the environment for which they were made. The living kingdom of eternal life. Man, that's good. You were made... When you were saved, you were saved into a new kingdom. Whole new way of life. You're a new citizen of another kingdom. That has your main loyalty. Not America. But the kingdom of God that is coming one day to make all things new. You have a new king that you're loyal to. You have a whole new life. And that life, folks, is eternal life. And John is the one that gives us to do this. It's present tense now. It's not something pine the sky. Oh, I'll be saved. I'll go off into heaven. No, we're to live it now. Jesus saves you that you would leave eternal life now, the abundant life now, the transformed life now. Not just then, but now, right? 
And here it is, uh, he goes on and says, as his apprentices, and I love Willard, we talk about this here, staff and leaders, um, you know, the idea of being a disciple, following Jesus. Willard uses this idea of being apprenticed to Jesus. Love that language. That's what we're called to. If we're saved, we're called to follow him as a disciple, as an apprentice. And if that's not happening, what Willard has, has brought out, which is just so true in the church, again, exposed our weaknesses that we, we've allowed this option in, in our ministries and in church, right? To think you can be a Christian and not be a disciple. You can make a decision for Jesus and just continue living like you did before. The Bible does not give that option. But we have. Hence, we are receiving, right, what Willard's saying here as a part of our culture in the church. So it goes on. As a prince of disciples, we pass, this is so good, through a course of training from having faith in Christ to having the faith of Christ. Now, folks, that's deep water. And I'm only just going to give a little scratch because I could take you to many, many New Testament passages that, that just support that statement. The one we just read this morning supports that statement. It goes from, right, a little children, I, I have writing to you that you might not sin, but that you might have faith in Jesus' propitiation, what he did on the cross for you. And he moves it from that faith in to the end of it, faith like Jesus. Live like he lived. And so what I want to challenge us with this morning is a little bit of what does that look like? What is faith like Jesus? How do I get that? What does that look like? And this is what we have to uh, encourage and, and, and spur on each other to, to go for, right? And um, so I just got four things here. And I'm uh, going to scratch on these uh, a little bit this morning. All right, so what does walk in the in verse 6 in the same way in which Jesus walked, lived. That's a command. Go live like Jesus. People should look at how you live your life. How? Oh, I see Jesus. And didn't Jesus say that in the Sermon on the Mount? Didn't he say in another way? It says, go, uh, you be, you're the light of the world. Let your good works. We're going to come back to that important word, works, in a minute. Um, let your uh, good works be seen by the that they might what? glorify your father in heaven they might see god in you not just man you're such a good you're so involved in so many causes and everything what god cares about is what is what is it you're doing in that cause are people seeing jesus in you in other words is the gospel coming out is the truth coming out not just my helping hands right and so um this first one is we learn to hear the voice of God through the word of God. This is so, so, so important. Okay? Um, and folks, I, I, again, I'm just going to, there's a little trifle in the seat back in front of you. We're in the process as a church of transforming our culture here into not just being a church that has some discipleship programs, but being a church of disciples. That no one can hang out in crossroads very long without being really challenged and invited into discipleship. 
Discipleship is not a Bible study. It's not a ministry. It's not a program. All those things are used to move us, hopefully awaken us to discipleship. Discipleship is where I'm invited into a group of guys. And the main thing at the center of our discussion is to help each other, exhort each other to learn how to live like Jesus. No matter what. Right? And for a group of women, right, to come together around that primary thing is how can we hold each other accountable, love each other, pray with each other. Somebody's got to lead that thing, right? In other words, move from faith in Christ to expand that or to faith like him so that we see in that context is where the main transformation happens in life. And I'm just going to stop here and just give a little testimony when I look back on, on decades now of ministry, decades, even more decades of walking with Christ or trying to walk with Christ, is that I look back on and, and had been blessed to, to be a part of many wonderful things throughout the years, um, different contexts. But when I look at it, the most transforming times in my life, the most deep, lifelong relationships in my life, all came out of a discipleship context. Every single one of them. Um, it was in those. It wasn't the big Bible study. It wasn't uh, just attending church. It wasn't um, the great ministry opportunities. It was locking arms with a group of men. Three, four, five, sometimes eight. Learning to love each other and hold each other accountable to be followers of Christ. And when we do that, we affect every aspect of life. Because to do that, I have to be exposed. I got to come and lay it all down right before God and before these men, right, to, uh, uh, to be honest, right, before them and have the Spirit of God move. It's doing what Jesus did with the 12. There's no other easier, more clear, plain understanding. We've taken, and this shows again, proves what Willard said, is when you talk about discipleship, most people just throw everything in there. Oh, Bible studies, oh this, oh that. No. No, it is what Jesus did with the 12. And that's the Great Commission. Go what? Make disciples. I beseech you, I, I, I encourage you with everything in me. If you've never been a part of a discipleship group, let us help you. Take that little trifle, just look over it. The reason our three G's here at Crossroads, grace, growth, greater thanks, that's the course of what Jesus did with the disciples. We start with understanding the grace of God, introduced to God. We start growing by the Spirit of God and greater things we're going to get to today. We start partnering with Jesus in the works of God. And, um, folks, we have to restore the Great Commission, right? Um, the, the, the point of that. And I, as I said, when I look back on it, ever, the most fruitful, impactful, fulfilling um, were those times. But here's the deal. Here's how the enemy works. Is that, and all the people I know in ministry is... It's all, you know, the big, oh, we had this many at this ministry, or we had this many decisions, or this many. Hey, that's really cool stuff. But you know, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus' primary, it was down to 120, the Son of God. And guess what? Ultimately, it was 12. And even inside the 12, Jesus had three in the inner circle that he poured into with all of his life.
and expected the world to change because of that. There is no one who is going to value in your life a discipleship group. And if you're in ministry, especially if you're part of a larger church, what is valued is the crowd and the metrics and the stats. Jesus did not operate that way. This is very important to understand. He operated with abiding faith that had abiding fruit. That's what was important. And the context of it was deep relational commitment. Right? With people who are ready to say, I'm ready to follow Jesus. Help me follow him. How do I become a follower, an apprentice? One who follows and lives like Jesus. That is the main mission, right? And so this first one is we learn to hear the voice of God through the word of God. So, gang, this is just so important. Um, Is it's one thing to read the Bible, but somebody has to teach us how to hear the voice of God, the spirit working with the word and the spirit working together. If it's just the word, it's just a book. You can read it. You can break. I know people who could, who could theologically spin circles around me, but they don't know God. I was talking to one in this community, actually, who was, I won't say what school, but, you know, PhD, everything else, and finally, and had so much knowledge. And I finally said, tell me what all that learning has done for your walk with God. You know what the answer was? Nothing. Thank you. That was impressive. Nothing. That was the word. Nothing from this world scholar. Nothing. It was strictly academic. Here's the sad part. That's the case for many in the church today. So the first part of this discipleship and where I want to encourage us practically, um, this is where I come in to understand who I am. My identity, how much God loves me. If I don't get that right, guess what? I am stalled in my growth. If I'm insecure in who I am, how God sees me, how God loves me, and, and as we read, I was saying up here, right? I'm no longer right? a slave to sin. This is Romans 8, folks, the Spirit of God. Here's the deal. Oh, I'm getting off track, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Romans, right? Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, folks, some of the most powerful transformative work. We as a church, theologically, have hung out in chapter 7 with Paul that says, oh, wretched man I am. You know, who's going to deliver me from the sin I keep following? That's Paul's the Pharisee who, without the Spirit of God, could not continue to obey the God and be transformed. It's very important. When you get to chapter 8, there now, he's getting ready to introduce the life in the Spirit. There's no condemnation for this. The Spirit, now he just contradicts that whole thing. The Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The Spirit, if he's in there, has set you free. You don't wall, we're not to wall, oh, wretched man I am, you know. No, no, no. It's a whole new life, a new creation he sets you free to. Now, you can go back. I can go back to chapter 7. I can go back there and wallow in my sin. I can go wallow in sin management all day long. And I'll miss the abundance and just read the rest of chapter 8. The promises. It's a radical new way of living. And it's in chapter 8 that says <laughs> he's giving you the spirit of adoption. Right? That's where he's given it to you if the Spirit of God is in you, whereby you and I cry out, Abba, Father, I know who I am. And when I know who I am, guess what? I can start walking as Jesus walked. 
If I falter on that, if I bounce back into all this mumbo jumbo of chapter 7, oh, wretched. And I minimize the power of the transforming gospel, right? I miss the, I miss the abundant life. I miss the transformation in all that, right? So I, I encourage us. Is there testimony of the transformation of how we see God and see ourselves? Last week, we opened the mics up at the end and, and had, you know, um, uh, offered time uh, for us to give testimony for, um, for faith in Jesus. What has Christ done? And maybe we'll have one or two just give a testimony as we come to the, man, let me tell you how God has changed me. I could be up here all day, folks, tell you how God has changed me from uh, and working on me with gentleness. I mean, every one of the fruit of the Spirit, I could tell you how God, give you practical examples. Let me tell you, this is, I, 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 I'm just hard as a rock, but God slowly chiseling. I mean, I could give all kinds of things. We should give those testimonies as encouragement, right, to each other. Number two, we learn to discern the will of God through the voice of God, through the word of God. If I can't, if I'm not learning, right, if somebody's not showing me how to hear the voice of God in the word of God to me, that this becomes very abiding, very relational, I know God. As John says, you know him when you keep his commandments, right? Then guess what? I'm going to be all over the place when it comes, what's God's will for my life? And guess what happens when that first, when I start hearing the voice of God, now one of the things happens, I don't make decisions in my life before going to God with it. Now, this is very convicting. And I said it, I, I use it all the time because I think it's very powerful, is how many of you, God led you here versus how many of you just moved here? How many of you took the job that you took because it was a good job versus, I just need a job or I need to be in Aspen. Did God tell you to move to Aspen? Now, this is very important. And, and, and I'll just go down the list. Did God tell you to date that person? In other words, when I start walking with God, I don't make decisions without, what? You're my Lord. You're my Lord. And I'm going to wait there. And in the midst of discipleship, I'm going to say, guys, here's a decision I got. Pray into this. Hear from the Lord. We need confirmation. Where is that in the church today? Because everything our young people get is, ah, oh, you deserve it. You do it. You go out and make the best life ever, blah, blah, blah. No, God has the best life for you. I've got to learn to discern his will. And that means I have to come to him. Lord, I'm hearing your voice now. Now tell me what to do here. In business, how many of you in your business decisions go to God? I can see around you. I, got, I know some amazing testimonies in here of those who do. I'll leave that with you. It's critical. But guess what? Each of us have to be in a discipleship context to really understand that. Right? What did Jesus say to the disciples? Hey, lay those nets down. What? Yeah, just leave your job right now. Leave it. Come follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. All right. How many of us have really wrestled with that kind of thing, right? Number three, we could go on. I'm just scratching the surface here, folks. All right. We learn to walk in the works of God that he has prepared for us. This is Ephesians 2.10, right? Works, folks, is not just some philanthropy. It's spirit-empowered from the Father through us to do something for the kingdom. And this is what Jesus did. We water down that idea of works. I'm going to say it again. 
this works, this prepare for you, right, is to live like Jesus. It's the spirit of God empowering you to do what you could not do on your own for the glory of God. That's the works that live on for eternity. For eternity. Right? Now are we people noticing? Yeah, this is tough, right? People noticing and uh, 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 us. Do they see Jesus in us? Not just, oh, he's such a good person. Mm. Because guess what? Today, there's going to be some people, what Jesus says, kind of blessed when you are rejected for my namesake. Have you been rejected for his namesake? Not because we're stupid, (laughs) but because we love Jesus and we stand what he says, not what the world says. Jesus says this should be happening regularly. If you're walking as I'm walking, you should be rejected just like I was. Because the world has a different value system than than the Bible, right? No, right? I want to play it safe. And final one, gang, is right here. As we learn to walk as Jesus walked, we align with the kingdom ways of God. You were saved for a different kingdom. The main thing Jesus taught about was the kingdom of God, this coming kingdom that fulfilled everything, all the promises in the Old Testament, right? The kingdom realities of God, right? This is why we're to pray. It's the kingdom now, but not yet. Is, is The Lord's prayer is, Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May there be kingdom manifest realities happening among us when we gather together, Lord. We have a little taste now, but Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. I know that I'm growing in in Christ, being like him, when in my heart more and more am I crying out, come, Lord Jesus, just come, Lord Jesus. May your kingdom come. Bring Bring your righteousness. Bring all things to this earth. Make all things new again, God. That is a heart that is moving towards Christ. Away from this world, where I'm so concerned about America, First, I'm concerned about the kingdom. And that should inform my concern for America and the rest of the world. And by the way, as a kingdom follower of Christ, was Jesus concerned about the political systems and everything? Don't misunderstand me. We need to be radically involved as good citizens. But Jesus' concern was what? People's hearts. Are they going to be a part of the eternal kingdom or not? That's the priority. Have we gotten screwed up as a church in America the last few years? Missed the mark of the mission? Has there been fighting between hearts and people on this issue? Man, God's heart breaks over that. My people have left their first love. It's people's hearts. That's the priority. That should inform our politics. Unfortunately, that has not been modeled well in America. And um, I'll leave that for you to wrestle with <laughs> or discuss. And um, just to end on this. Folks, are we passing in your life? Come on up, dear. From faith in him right, to faith like him. So let's just, uh, as we come to the table, um, I think just one or two um, this morning just encourage us. And folks, this time right now is a time to minister to each other, right? You got to be available to pray with somebody, right? Bless somebody, whatever it is. Just get to know somebody, whatever, you know, take somebody to lunch. Get to know somebody here you haven't known, 
be the body, be engaged, right? And uh, let me just pray. And if, if you're here and you, you have a short testimony, this is very clear, not for anything else, one or two of, man, I just want to encourage you, church. This is how the gospel changed me. I think of John Newton, right? He was the, the captain of the slave trade and radically transformed. And he says, I'm, I'm not who I used to be, but I'm not yet fully what God has for me. So if you have something to encourage us, just how, man, God's, he's, how the Spirit of God has changed you to be more like Jesus. Man, just come encourage us here as we come to the table. So, Father, we want to honor you, Lord. Father, your love abounds. Holy Spirit, come, minister to us. Enlarge our hearts, Lord, with your love. Let us be the loving people, God, that you've called us to. Break it out here, God. The testimonies rise, Lord. The transformation rise. Thank you for your body and your blood, Jesus. Thank you, God. Restore and renew and encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com. 